Welcome to the Gregarious Mammal Podcast. This is Chris. And this is Kate. And we're doing the, the usual thing that is done at this time of the year and having a round up, a look back on 2017. What a year it was. It was quite busy, actually, wasn't it? Um, it was. I did a little, uh, I don't think I've done it for you yet, but I did a little stats count up. In a 2017 review post, uh, nothing particularly interesting post, but just to get some numbers, I wrote about 115 articles, um, as well as wow. documentation stuff. I would think you'd be about the same. Um, we made, well, I made uh, 52 podcast episodes. I'd say for you, probably about 20 something, maybe. Um, I spoke at 25 conferences and meetups in over 12 countries, which I was actually surprised about the 12 countries. Um, you have travelled a lot this year. Yeah, and that doesn't include personal travel. Um, and that also doesn't include places I travelled to more than once. Like I didn't include Germany four times in that number. So I'm actually quite surprised it was that high. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I would guess you would have some... Similar numbers on the articles. But, yeah, it's been, I don't know, it's been a funny year. Like, we've done a lot, but I think we've also kind of, uh, I have the feeling I've fallen into that, uh, that 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 area where you're sort of just writing. And when you write especially a few articles a week, a lot of the time you just sort of write things and sometimes some articles just sort of vanish into the wilderness and others are popular and, you know, I don't know. It's sort of funny when you get into that level and that regularity of writing that sometimes what you write just sort of somewhat yeah vanishes into the into the woodwork I don't know (laughs) yeah and it's it's odd I mean like my my my, one of my most shared posts was a very brief post I did on um uh, from memory it was to do with AI and uh retail Mm. like the retail environment very quick post just a, a quick wrap up and um, it was probably my most shared. And it was, it was really annoying because it's kind of like, you know, you have all these posts where you've interviewed people and you've transcribed interviews and you've done research for days and you've kind of really put some effort in. And then something you just knock off quickly. It captures the, oh, yeah. the interest. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's very unpredictable, that kind of stuff sometimes. It's like those social media posts that you consciously craft minutes and minutes into making them sound just right and they get no discussion. Then you post a cat picture and it gets... Lots of <laughs> Very true. So yeah, and uh, yeah, it's been interesting end to the year. We're going to do a little bit of our sort of favourite few things of the year, a few predictions for 2018. Um, but actually, we also uh, had a busy end to last year. Well, what I did, I went to um, last week. Well, not last week, this week actually, <laughs> to CCC Chaos Communication Camp, the infamous Chaos Communication Camp from the Chaos Communication Club, Chaos Computer Club. Ugh. Although, as I discovered, it's not so well known to Americans as I thought, because they kept asking me what's CCC. Um, it's thirty fourth year. First, well, I'm not sure if it's first year, but after a long run in Hamburg, it moved to Leipzig, which is where we actually used to live. So it was a good opportunity for us to go and uh, see some people too. Um, it was interesting. Um, I guess let, let's start because I've spoken too much already. Let's start with your sort of, 
I guess, perspective of someone who didn't go, but also a perspective of someone who didn't go and didn't necessarily know much about it and just uh, what, what's your impressions of what it is and what it's about and what it stands for from, from yeah. Uh, Chaos Communication yeah. Camp. I mean, I don't know that much. It's it's one of those conferences that is a little bit of an in, um, a click mm. in that you need to be referred by people to get um, a ticket. I did try and get a press ticket, but I couldn't get one. Um <clears throat> My understanding is it's basically um, a bit like a, a black hat conference or a DEFCON conference, except it's not limited to cybersecurity researchers and experts. It's people that are um, involved in all kinds of levels of um, looking at uh, cybersecurity, whether they're just makers and tinkerers and sort of, you know, your home enthusiasts, or they're people working on a, a more, um, I don't know, more, more of a platform level. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't even know if that's correct. Well, it is and it isn't. Uh, you're sort of partially correct. Like, there's there's definitely people on their small projects. There's also there were also plenty of people on their big projects. There were people from commercial companies like Cloudflare. There were people who probably tried to hack Cloudflare. So it's a, a real kind of interesting mix. Um, they had Snowden join them by video, uh, of course. Um, and some other very famous people, some very famous people in Germany, some very famous people from other places. Uh, I mean, like 15,000 people, and some of the talks, the audience was huge. Like, it was actually quite um, quite, quite amazing to see how large some of the attendance was. I suppose my perspective was it was sort of more and less than I was expecting in, in every way. Uh I was expecting maybe more uh, – I was expecting to have to worry about my uh, internet security far more, and I, I didn't really, as far as I know. <laughs> um, I was expecting it to be a bit more chaotic maybe. Well, well, I don't know. It was weird. Like this is the strange thing. I spoke to some people who have been before and said it was the same in Hamburg. It's in like a real kind of Messer fair building. And they'd done a very good job that they could within those confines of making it like a like another world. You know, there were actually people sleeping there and there were makeshift structures. Yeah, I saw photographs. And, and makeshift kitchens and power and internet that they must have laid on themselves. And I would imagine that convincing a convention centre to let you do that would be pretty phenomenal. Very unusual. Yeah, but at the same time, I found for anarchists, they were very big on queuing uh, and is very traditional in Germany, <laughs> telling you to queue and do things that make no sense whatsoever um, because that seems to be tradition in uh, queuing in Germany. Um, do you want to maybe tell us some of the talks you went yeah, to? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm getting to that, yeah. Um, I, I went to... I kept, I kept things fairly uh, low-key. I didn't throw myself in too much for reasons I might go into in a minute. But I saw talks from a Cloudflare engineer about how they identified a, a major uh, security flaw in some encryption algorithms. I saw talks on um, automated weapons and how they should and could be regulated. Uh, I saw talks on tricking machine learning algorithms I saw a lot of lightning talks on a very wide variety of talk of topics. Um, yeah, I saw a talk on uh, how to find hidden microphones, like a real kind of broad gamut of things. 
Um, I guess my perspective was... So I guess the, the other conference I've been to that's a little bit like it, but probably less from a cybersecurity angle, is FOSTEM in Brussels, mm. which is coming up um, in uh, just over a month, actually. And the first year I went to that, I felt extremely isolated. Um, it's a community that is has this persona of being... Uh, I've written a lot about this, but this persona of, you know, the outcasts... <laughs> getting together, but the outcasts can be just as cliquey as the non-outcasts mm. when they all Absolutely. get together. And if you're not part of their group, they can be just as isolating to you. Mm. Uh, mm. And often because I mix up in so many circles, I, uh, it sometimes makes these sorts of people a bit suspicious of you as well. And I, I found this my first year of FOSTEM. I really didn't have a very good time, actually. I, I felt very lonely mm. a lot of the time. Second and third year were better. So I try to have a bit more of an open mind with this, of thinking the same thing, that it's, it's a community that probably even more so is a little bit um, un, unwelcoming to strangers for a variety of different reasons. Um, the, re, the nice thing of it being in Leipzig is we had friends and stuff there anyway, so if I wanted something to, to do, it was it was uh, easy to to, uh, to to find someone that we knew already but yeah uh that was a bit of a downside um i mean how do you get around it though i mean yeah. the problem i've seen with a lot of these kind of niche uh topics is that you do have communities where people know each other yeah. and yeah. there may be people that only get to talk online other times of years because they're from all around the world it's true it's true and of course they want to meet and hang out together how do you make people I mean, I would always say if you want to get um, make an event more welcoming, if you if you don't know anyone, you turn up, maybe do some volunteering yeah, or um, yeah. ask to if you can help with something. It's just as a way to kind of meet people. But mm. I mean, I'm not sure how much an organisers can really address that kind of stuff. Oh, I know, and um, I think like I, I found sort of the chaoticness of it sometimes frustrating as well in terms of organisation in that. I would look into finding assemblies around subjects I was interested in and then try to find them and there was no one there or Oof, uh, they annoying. just never responded to you or, you know, they're using ways yeah. to communicate with each other that they know. And this is often yeah. a problem with the open source movement in itself in that the open source movement, certain members of it can be very uh, dedicated to using particular tools. But if you don't right. use those and you don't know about them, then you've got no chance of even finding them in the first place. Yeah. Um, it's strange. Sometimes open can be very closed in, in a strange way. Um, yeah, yeah it, was, it was interesting. I would recommend going and I'd probably go again and I'd probably do a bit more research and a bit more pre-arrangement in the future. Um, yeah, it was certainly an experience. Um, yeah, I think I would do it again. But actually, and one thing we wanted to talk around, this is sort of an interesting one. And actually, um, I sort of saw tweetings of it and mumblings of it on Twitter. But then Kate was actually the one who kind of did more research into it to me. Maybe you want to bring up um, briefly, because it's not new news, but uh, a certain topic around certain attendees of the conference. And then I will... Give a perspective. Yeah, I mean, there was an issue because a man called Jacob Applebaum attended the conference, an American man who now lives in Berlin. Um, from what I can see, I'll just get his Wikipedia so I can actually tell you who he is with any 
conviction. Just give me one second. Yeah, um, he's he's basically a cybersecurity researcher, a hacker, um, and, and a journalist. I think he does some art kind of stuff as well. And <clears throat> it's probably what, most known for being involved with the Cold of the Dead Cow Hacker Collective, and also t- also Tor. That was some, yeah, the Tor project. Um, and <laughs> I mean, whenever I hear these these kinds of allegations which are coming out more and more i think this year has been the year of me too um in um not only uh tech but in pretty much every sector you could possibly imagine um basically the um the man is accused by a a number of women who've been to police and so on of um sexual harassment rape um using force against women sexual assault etc etc and women that felt threatened because of his knowledge of cybersecurity, that he would be able to um, hack into their computers or find things about them or, or so on. And basically the um, the reliability of the, the claims, if you like, was such that he's been removed from a number of roles um, within um, the US and also internationally. Um, he's also uh, been banned by quite a few conferences, including um, this one, CCC, last year. And the reason I found out about this was because one of the women who'd been assaulted by him was at the conference and discovered that he turned up. (laughs) And everyone was kind of like, well, why is he allowed to attend? Because this guy's been excluded from the conference for his behaviour against women. And, you know, um, look, seriously, if you Google his name, the articles will come up. There is a lot of articles that... um, And a website that looks like it's his website is actually a website... Uh, against him yeah so look you know i'm not i'm not one to kind of just say oh there's this claim of one person's done something bad it's actually from what i can see to be fairly substantiated stuff but in turn you've also got a sort of a double issue which is that he has been notably um treated very poorly by the justice system in the past um and by securities in various countries because of his role with um, wikileaks and also his, his relationship with Edward, Edward Snowden. So there is there is issues there as well that, you know, and it would be very easy for someone in his position to say, to blame everything on those, you know, oh, it's people against me, it's the government, it's all this sort of stuff. But um, mm. there's certainly no suggestion that from, from what I read anyway, and as someone who worked in sexual harassment for 10 years um, and represented people on both sides of the whole thing, uh, the the claims do certainly look very credible, and I guess the bigger issue here is about. Um, firstly, I know it's something we've sp- we've spoken to about before briefly. Firstly, that conferences should have a code of conduct, and secondly, that there should be a um, a dispute or a a means to be able to well stop people attending. And yeah, and actually, I, I think the enactment of a code of conduct is is actually the more important thing in some respects. I sometimes feel like a, a lot of conferences now. And CCC had it a bit, and I think this is possibly why. They go overboard in um, they go overboard in paying lip service. No, no, that no, that sounds bad to say that, but they go overboard in showing a demonstration of code of conduct and accessibility and inclusivity and things like this. But you do wonder like if the shit hit the fan and, and someone actually had an issue what would happen yeah 
Yeah, that's a good point. And you're not sure, of course. Uh, and you hope, you half hope that you'd never have to worry about it. But and especially events run by um, by uh, panels and by committees, like yeah, how would you actually? And who would even have the power to actually deal with an issue? Yeah. I'm not sure. And I, I mean, I don't want to go too much into the actual issue itself because it's old news and it's also something we've covered in <clears throat> yeah, other sure. aspects of on the podcast already. But I actually just wanted to read a couple of quotes from some articles around the accusations uh, last year um, that sum up uh, sum up some interesting things. We'll come back to them in a minute. So first I'm going to read, I'm going to read a few paragraphs here and there. This is from uh, a Desite article uh, quite a well-written article first paragraph is anarchists who hate the state take charges of rape into their own hands and where normally there would be a court case only rumors now prevail it's also inexplicable why mr applebaum who according to his own account is the victim of false accusations doesn't go to the police and i'll just continue through a few others because uh, there's a couple and there's some that are very interesting so it's from the same article. The internet activists who are so courageously fighting against surveillance are now fighting against each other. Some in the anti-Applebaum camp are no longer showing up for the regular weekly get-together in Berlin. Apartment-sharing communities are falling apart. Some hackers are even not getting involved in romantic relationships within the community anymore out of fear that they could be wrongly accused of something. Tor insiders report that projects have bogged down. Mutual trust, a key resource of activists, is destroyed. Um, and one more from this article. When it comes to sex, power and drama, the hacker community resembles a hormone-loaded American college fraternity. Except that here, paranoia has long been running rampant. Members sleep with one another and think each other is capable of all manner of evil. There is no end of tales about who has already once accused whom of secretly working for the hated government. <laughs> Even the most secure encryption can't save the revolution from eating its own children. And I think that last paragraph especially is, I don't know, uh, somewhat somewhat representative of my occasional issues with sort of uh, extreme communities. And I think that feeds a little bit into what I just said earlier about that sometimes these communities can be actually quite exclusionary and are in some respects no better than those times when people like us were in the school playgrounds on our own being ignored or abused by bullies and we've just sort of taken that and put it in on our own at a, at a micro scale at our sort of nerd community from then but hang on hang i don't on. know i don't know yeah yeah we're talking about sexual assault on, here sorry. and rape and violence against women we're not talking about someone being you know uh clicky at a party no. or something no but you're missing my point is that these in this last especially in that last paragraph that these communities, um, and I think as far as I can remember, a lot of the accusations in this case came from people who were mostly part of the community already. And I think my point and the point of this paragraph is that, um, to surmise, that sometimes when you spend a lot of time living on the extreme, knowing what is extreme or not, and what is acceptable or not, gets harder and harder to judge. Um, and A, the manifestation of this is that it can be quite cliquey, which is one, I suppose, more minor manifestation. And then the other manifestation is that barriers can 
and lines can easily be breached because people think that everyone is sort of so insular with each other that you can get away with whatever you want. Um, and it becomes hard to tell the boundaries anymore, um, maybe. It's, and then it has different manifestations. But, I mean, we also had this year um, another cybersecurity guru or expert, or if you want to call him, um, what was his name? Morgan yeah. Markey Boa? I'm not yep. sure how to say his name. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and this yeah. was women had been trying to get their claims of rape and sexual assault against him, numerous women, again, mm. um, heard for over 10 years. So there seems to be a bit of a pattern here of, of men in in cybersecurity or at least two instances that are that are quite big where people that were considered, I don't know, gods or experts or mm. having some level of acclaim, um, having this sordid history. And, you know, it, you need only look at the excellent reporting The Verge did in that case where mm. there were... Mm explicit cases of of sexual assault and abuse by this man against women women who who had gone forward with it and and had raised it and again the same kind of issues were coming out that we heard with um Jacob Applebaum where people had you know put forward claims and it had taken a, a while for things to happen or for things to change or for him to be removed from organizations or what have you um but it and it also uh the i guess you know there's two things that come up around this whole stuff as well that we can we can think about one is what we've really seen this year is all these cases where women have come forward where there's been abuse by men in positions of power and it may be very easy as a listener to kind of think well you just go to the police don't you that's how you sort this stuff mm-hmm. out we know notoriously that rape is very very difficult to prove um the sheer the number of cases from memory of my my rusty criminology statistics um something like five percent of cases actually go to um go to court that get reported of those less than one percent are actually result in a conviction it's extremely difficult for um for people to actually get uh justice if we could use that term through the um criminal justice system the conventional court mm. system and when you think about the fact that women are using saying, well, these are my workplaces. These conferences are a workplace. I don't want to have to deal with these rapists or these people that are, are well known and it's been verified for over several years um, come attending these conferences. There should be some censure here. Um, and I think mm. that's, you know, it's, and I think that article was a little bit offensive actually because it made quite light of it and made it sound like it was squabbling children when it's actually, um, we're talking about victims of abuse here. I I think um, okay. I'm gonna I'm actually going to quote another article, and then maybe we'll come back to the same conversation, just because it's somewhat related and somewhat similar to that last paragraph. Um, so this is actually from a Guardian article. Um, Roth says Berlin's close knit cyber activist community is likely to be no different to any other dysfunctional organization or business that fails to properly address allegations of sexual assault and harassment. Sexual violence, she explains, is about the exertion of power, whether the power is defined by official rank or by social status. And in both cases, it is difficult for the victims to speak up. That relies on the goodwill of the aggressor. So without a formal allegation, victims often prefer to remain silent. Um, and I think there's obviously a particular... Actually, I've got a couple more here. Let's go a couple more. Uh, Violet Blue, which is one of the um, the... the 
accusers, victims. Uh, Violet Blue claims that it was Assange and Snowden who helped to, and let's forget, not forget that Assange has his own. Um, yeah. Assange and Snowden who helped to elevate Applebaum to a position of power. Whether or not they knew about his behaviour, we need to look no further for proof that hero worship and the cult of belief is pure poison, she writes. This didn't happen because we're broken as a hacker culture or because we're hackers and thus too undeveloped to comprehend empathy. But others do feel the episode presents a challenge to the tech community. We need to ask ourselves which values we stand for, says a former friend of Applebaum. In Germany, we used to be connected by mutual trust and support. So taking advantage of someone's vulnerabilities damaged this safe space. Um, I think... um, I think maybe the subtext of the Zeit article which you're referring to is uh, I kind of get what you're saying um, and as to, as certainly around this specific issue it is a little demeaning but um, I think around sort of my earlier points is makes a bit more sense around this aspect of that extreme communities that are comprised of people who live on the outskirts of quote unquote normal society when they're all thrown in a room or a very tight knit community with each other it it's it's very difficult to 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 requantify what is wrong and right yeah uh, i mean yeah. i i get a bit tired of this this argument that uh you know, particularly men in tech are all, you know, they, they any of their their social inequalities or their the social offences, if I can use that word, such as in this case rape and violence against women, should be should be um, you know explained away. The assumption, oh, they might be a bit a bit you know dysfunctional or a bit socially awkward or something. These people are not. These are people in positions of power. These are people that have been, you know, received accolades and awards and been to universities and had jobs and gone for interviews. They're not, you know, a, a little keyboard warrior who just hides behind a laptop. So they're people. Yeah. I, yeah. I think sometimes yeah. the, there's an assumption that people in tech are different. They're not. Um, the assumption that, you know, tech is somehow made up of these nerdy guys who just make mistakes and they're well-intentioned. It's not true, unfortunately. Um, sure, there are guys yeah, like that, yeah, of course. Yeah. There are guys like that everywhere. But um, yeah. there are certainly, and I think it's been shown very well this year, um, f- from um, people like like some of the staff of Uber to the way the company has dealt with their own sexual harassment claims and sexual violence to um, uh, the number of VCs who've um, been outed for sexually... Um, sexual offences against women. I think we're mostly looking at um, sexual harassment there, not not sort of um, like rape and that sort of stuff. Um, have been have been numerous this year. You know, mm, women have mm. been in placed in in vulnerable positions, um, and it's been, and you know people going for funding, um, journalists, uh, other women in companies have spoken out and and have made an issue. And I I would I would like to think. How do I phrase it? I don't. Okay, I don't think this is going to stop anytime soon. I think we've just started with some of this stuff. It's been kind of brewing all year, and I think it started with the whole, um, perhaps when Trump got elected and people started questioning his views of women because of some of his comments that he'd already made on mm. on camera. Um, yeah. It started there, and then people started taking a lens to their own their own environment, whether it was Hollywood or somewhere else, and we've not. 
we've we've seen people outed and we've seen people lose jobs and all that sort of stuff, but we've not necessarily seen the structures change yet. We've not seen, mm. and and that perhaps will be the next step that next year that we'll start seeing that kind mm. of thing. People will start looking at their own policies and procedures and practices and education Ooh. and all that stuff. All right, Kate. Before we um, move on to predictions, <laughs> which we're getting a little close to, yeah, I, I, I guess um, you have a, a very different perspective on these issues. That's not to say that I agree with them, but you have a very different perspective for a variety of reasons, which we won't, which you've you've expressed. And I guess uh, as a non-victim, and also as a non-knower of well that I know of any victims as well. You um, do. (laughs) You do. (laughs) Okay, well, that I know of, as I said. Um, I tend to look maybe at people from – look at it from a different perspective and maybe I see the the less serious side of these communities, the – the just being a bit rude <laughs> a lot of the time. Uh, but also that aspect that we have spoken about on previous podcasts. And I was having an interesting conversation uh, about this with someone over the past week as well. This, and you just alluded to yourself, this kind of almost constantly giving engineers um, the benefit of the doubt because, oh, poor them, they're all a bunch of weirdos, um, when actually that will have to stop being an excuse pretty soon. Uh, and that manifests itself in, in my... in in my personal sphere of um, interest in, in one way and, and in, other more, in other issues, and I'm not going to say more or less serious because it's hard to, 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 to sort of to measure them against each other right now because things haven't all necessarily played out. Um, but, yeah, I think it's, it's – I guess, I guess there's a, a different aspect that maybe we can throw in here of this, this aspect of – not only individuals taking responsibility, but taking responsibilities for your community as well. Um, but yet again, as we've discussed, getting the people who need to hear this stuff to react to it is the challenge. Yeah, and I know the people yeah. who are already on side with this are not the ones who need to hear this. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I know women, for a fact, are, are very tired of making their own lives and experiences teachable moments for other people. Mm. And I think yeah. I would like to see a lot more policing and uh, reaction from other men because I think, unfortunately, I'd like to say differently, but I think men are most respective to um, social controls from other men in general. Um, so, mm. you know, and I know this has been brought up in all kinds of contexts, whether it's to do with racism or homophobia or whatever, where when a man says, says something or does something inappropriate, men say, that's not cool. That's not on. Why did you do that? You know? Yeah. Okay, let's, uh, this is a, this is a whole multifaceted topic that we keep, we have revisited over the year many times and we're not going to come to no. any, Conclusion. It's been a complex also, year for it. Yeah, and we also disagree with each other. Yeah, we points, do. But that's half the that's half the point of <laughs> having a podcast. So that's okay. But let's 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 move on from this more this 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 big weighty serious subject to some some lighter things. Let's first look back. I mean, actually, we're talking about incidents that happened in late 2016. So let's come forward and let's talk about 2017. So. Kate, let's let's kind of uh, let's 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 uh, tennis this. Uh, let, let's okay. ping pong it. Yep. Um, you go. For, let's do try and do three. I think. Okay. Um, number one, one of your favourite things of 2017 oh. in your professional space. I think um, it's 
any, anyone would, would say, you know, with, with conviction, it's the year of the ICO and the year of blockchain technology where um, we've seen an, an explosion and of companies that are bringing out um, coins, bringing out tokens, uh, trying to use it as a conduit of fundraising, but also companies that are using the blockchain as a way of solving problems like um, using smart contracts, um, in, in environments such as shipping and, and logistics, um, looking at uh, ways of, of mapping and providing identification for people and for places, uh, looking at ways of uh, well, all kinds of stuff, really. I mean, mm. I'm not really going to go deep into it because my brain's a bit tired today. And I've, apologies mm. for listeners, I've got a bit of a cold. But um, I think what it's, it, what's been interesting is particularly in the last month or so, we've, we have started to see, um, and I've noticed this particularly, um, in, with the Australian media, there's been a backlash by the banks in Australia already to people that are involved in cryptocurrencies, um, which some banks, some of our main Australian banks see as, uh, a, some, you know, being, being involved in shady dealings or something like that, uh, because they see it as, you know, not not as legitimate kinds of financial transactions, and therefore closing down people's people's bank accounts. So I think we are going to see the banks hit back, and it's been a funny one because you know a lot of a lot of us have said, oh, you know, blockchain and particularly ICOs are are being used as a means to uh, challenge some of the the traditional ideas of banking, like um, by creating decentralization and um, distributed. Uh, distribution and all that sort of stuff and um now that banks are kind of either exploring it because they want to get in on it and get their own their own um elements of control or either or or you know providing these very sensationalist uh biased articles where they're censoring and, and questioning the legitimacy of cryptocurrencies it's been super interesting um my other two, I'd, I'd really say uh well, one at one at a time oh. we're, we're table tennis oh i think i misunderstood what you meant to be honest with you, I was going to go for a more personal angle on this, but actually, uh, why not, Kate? You've uh, you've actually, I think, possibly uh, made made it more a more interesting subject than I was going to make this episode. So, <laughs> so let's carry on. Um, yeah, I guess to, I almost wouldn't. I almost wasn't going to include blockchain because it's sort of been up and down yeah. for me. I've seen some really interesting projects, and I'm more interested in how blockchain can be used for. Uh, yeah, the non-financial mm, stuff. Mm, the financial stuff to me is almost too obvious. Mm. I like it where it's being used in other things like IPFS and Filecoin and things mm. like that. Um, and yeah, I will link back to an article I wrote earlier in the year about some interesting projects that do that. But then I think for me it got overshadowed by all the ICO mm. stupidity and that kind of ruined it a bit for me. And towards the latter half of the year with the increase in um, cryptocurrency value, whilst personally we both benefited from that, it almost it somewhat ruined things even more because it just got hijacked by mainstream media and just became this kind of stock ticker mm. that the media was just watching agree day with that. in, day out. Yeah. And, and it, somewhat, it somewhat ruined it for me, actually. The positive, positivity I had from blockchain earlier in the year was somewhat ruined in the latter half of the year. So, yeah, I, I think um, I did say things. I didn't say necessarily best or worst. So let's, let's go for that. Okay, so I think I, I get the feeling we're going to end up in, in agreement on a, on, a, on a lot here. So, all right. Um, throw number two at me, Kate, and we'll see how we go. See if I end up 
serving it back at you or serving you a curve. Yeah, I mean, wearables are an interesting area and I'm, you know, I've always been a fan of the perhaps more the possibilities of wearable technology rather than the actual execution at present. And I think this year we've seen some real failures in that, you know, um, for example, Jawbone and a bunch of other companies have just failed to really carve a place in the market. Some I know some of the other tech companies have reduced or removed their um, wearable divisions. Uh, so it's really uh, when you're looking at the if I if I can call them the wrist worn wearables your watches and and wristbands I think there's been a, a bit of a a lack of um, a lack of uh, they they're still only appealing to the early adopters they've never really gone mainstream. Um, so this is a negative. For it's you, a negative, a but but okay. <laughs> but I think it's been a very good year for hearable technology. So okay. whether it's your in-ear um, products like like translators um, or things like um, I've seen a bunch of devices that are embedded in glasses or, or where people who are, are blind can wear the glasses with a little. Um, uh, machine learning powered device attached that and I have written about this, so I'll stick some um, some links in so people can have a look. Where you know you've got someone who's remotely describing your inv- your three D environment around you while the person's walking, so that they're not you know they're able to actually feel like they're participating. It's not just like oh, don't smash into something. It's actually being able to participate. I think we've also seen with um, with wearable technology, there's there's been some developments this year of some really nice health wearable technology. Um, and not all of it's come out yet. Like I know when I was looking for examples, um, I, I know I wanted to mention some and realized they hadn't finished their products yet. All right. Well, let's, let's, let's save that for uh, a prediction. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad you said that because I have absolutely nothing to add on wearables. So we're not going to be in agreement mm-hmm. here. That's good. <laughs> so, so I think number two for me, would be um I think how to phrase this. Um Oh, we're we're doing our podcast live here and it's just oh, started snowing. Cool. Look at that. And number two for me is um I think going to be I was trying to think of the right way to phrase this, but uh markets on the on the edge, shall we say. We're used to talking about um uh, Europe and the US uh, to certain extents, um, and then also uh, other markets too. But as anyone who follows any of my writing knows, I love to travel around places that maybe you haven't thought about. Um, and we went to some very interesting ones this year. I, I went back to Serbia, and there's some interesting things happening there. But I think for me, my highlight would was uh, Ukraine, definitely. Um, Really interesting things happening there. Really looking forward to going back and exploring uh, Kiev and Odessa in 2018. Uh, and what we did discover was super interesting and super raw. So just a really opportune time to to investigate a, a new a new market and and take advantage. Oh, take advantage of it. Sounds bad. Uh, yeah, opportunities, opportunities. Yeah, so. I I think I think that for me was my second thing. All right then, Kate. So 
Back at you. Uh, number three, your third and final thing of the year. I think critical thought and ethics is probably my third one. Um, I've noticed this year that people are starting to think more critically about the functions and the, the wherewithal and the whys and the hows of having technologies in our lives. And it's everything from people that formerly worked at social media outlets who've denounced the technology to people questioning things like um, the use of robotic weaponry and... Um, the bias of AI. And I, you know, whilst I can't, I can't say with any conviction that these people are necessarily all, all going to be able to change, change the, um, the, the negatives of technology that, that we will see more of, I think. I think that the, the fact that people are actually having these conversations and starting to think critically about it. Chris and I both got involved in the, um, a new organization just starting called the Good Technology Collective, which is an international organization that looks at some of these issues. And I think that, um, this year we've really seen people kind of starting to think about you know, what, what kind of legacies do we want from technology in our lives? I mean, no one is saying no technology. Um, no one is saying there's not going to be automation or AI or anything like that. But it's also been, um, you know, a, an opportunity for people to start having these conversations and it not just being um, philosophers and mm. people with PhDs. That really wasn't very fair, Kate, because you know I would probably go for something very similar. <laughs> oh, no, really? I would just probably give you an agreement <laughs> again. Well, um, maybe I'll go for a, a half one afterwards. I think, um, I think, yeah, I think I agree with you there. I'm, I, I'm not entirely sure how optimistic I am about predictions on this, which we'll come to very soon, about whether people will really change. Um, but yeah, I think it was spoken about a lot more. An interesting perspective on this is I have heard some some comment that some of the reasons why is because when it comes to tech journalism, especially that um, kind of covering like startups and their products has become so common now and so widespread and so de rigueur almost, that a lot of journalists have been trying to find something else to write about because yeah. they're just bored about writing about Joe and his <laughs> dumb idea yet again. Um, so in some respects, I sometimes wonder if this topic got talked about more because of that too. I have to. There was something I read that talked about this a little bit. I have to figure out where I can uh, find it. Um, yeah, I'd be interested to read that. Yeah, I, I don't know. Whatever the reason, then that's fine. Um I also, as well as this, uh, the collective you mentioned, I have also been getting involved with a few people uh, in Europe who are interested in setting up uh, an aspect of the Tech Workers Collective as well, which is sort of more from um, the workers' perspective than the like the responsibilities for the worker than of the worker. But still, there's a. It's still early enough that there's a lot of sort of counter crossover in these things. Do you so, mean kind of union kind of stuff too? Sort of, and a lot of the people involved with it at the moment are more from union and lawyer background. Interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think that it's been a year where at least people started talking about this more. Whether it will amount to anything, who knows? Um, but I think people have been talking about it. I think I'm going to throw in one bonus one, seeing as you're letting me, because I let you, you go, go first and I ended up just agreeing with you. <laughs> um, 
would be actually uh, was 2017 just the year of the startup uh, all over. I mean, mm. we I already alluded to it a minute ago about just that almost press have got sick of writing about startups. Um, did we reach peak startup? Um, yeah, and you yeah. know, I'm, as you know, I'm always always curious what delineates a startup versus oh, a small business. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think that's almost a conversation in itself that mm. we reached peak startup, including companies or projects that shouldn't even be startups. So, mm. so in some respects, you're right there. So that'll be my half one. Let's, yeah, um, one. let's move on to 2018, Kate. Let's gaze into the far distant future of next week. Mm. And um, what's your prediction number? However many you want to do, I suppose. Yeah, well, for, like for like I alluded to earlier, I think there's going to be the evolution of some really good wearable medical technology. Yeah. We've seen the evolution of that over the last kind of two or three years um, with things like Dario, my Dario, and some other products um, to deal with things like sleep apnea, to deal with diabetes, to deal with um, a range of kind of uh, um, I'm just thinking of the best mm-hmm. best way to put it. I'm not sure if not biohacking, but maybe to do with neuro some of the neurology kind of projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're what we're seeing is um, I know there's been uh, an organ the FDA in in the US has been working with um, with wearable technologists to make sure there are clearer guidelines so that mm-hmm. people can go to market faster mm-hmm. and to make sure that. These medically recognised devices are recognised and and by by the public as well. That I think that's something that does need a bit more um, a bit more awareness raising. For example, I remember a couple of, last year it would have been I was doing some research into diabetes because there were so many products on the market from apps to um, to wearable products, and then there was the whole biohacking scene where people with diabetes were creating their own products. And out of all the apps I looked at, there was only three with FDA clearance. Mm. And I think in the last year, there'd only been two products that had, I don't have to check my figures, Mm. two or three that had received clearance. Like it's a slow, long, expensive project. um, Those that succeed are most usually people who are coming from a university background. So they may have been experts in a, a particular area of medicine or health. And then they've been able to extend it to the commercial realm. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that. We're going to see more people coming out of universities and coming out of a more learned background in, in technology as well. People that are maybe on their second or third um, business or, or a startup, if you want to call it that, where the um, the business acumen and the kind of how to be a manager, how to run a business, how to manage finances, all that stuff. Not just the tech is really coming out. So we're starting to see more kind of responsible um, companies and therefore more responsible investment. So they'll be the ones I'd expect to get investment. Mm. I, I must admit I don't tend to ever give that much thought to predictions. Um, I think also I tend to write about so many wide things that – uh, I find it hard to even think specifically around particular topics to give massive predictions. I think I will piggyback off one that we said earlier in that I definitely will see 2018 as an even bigger year of backlash against tech and the year that uh, tech is expected to do more um, beyond just making awesome shiny gadgets. Um what that exactly will mean is very hard to say, but 
I think there will be certain tech companies who at least try to demonstrate they're doing more, um, but more with actual meaning as well. Uh, like, for example, um, much was made of uh, Tim Cook from Apple being openly gay and thus supporting lots of kind of gay rights issues. Um but <laughs> that doesn't necessarily counteract their terrible tax dodging. You know what mm, I mean? Mm, like mm. it's almost like there's a bit of a magic trick going on with some tech mm. companies. It's like, it's yeah, but we're point. nice over here, yeah. but don't look over there. Yeah. And I think there's going to have to be a lot more holistic good behaviour from tech companies in 2018 and that's not going to be good enough anymore. It's not going to be good enough to say, oh, we built a wind farm, but we haven't, we've only paid $50 in tax. <laughs> yeah. Know? I it's think, I think that's not going to be good enough anymore. That'll be my prediction for first prediction for 2018. You got any more? Yeah. I reckon there's going to be some lawsuits. Well, against, of course it's going to um, be lawsuits. Yes. <laughs> let me finish. Against companies where they have insecure products or insecure okay. protocols or platforms or what have you. Um, yeah. For example, this year we saw Equifax, which had, um, what was it? I, can't, oh, I haven't got the figures in front of me, but some massive proportion of the, popul- the mm. American population's data, basically through doing credit checks. And the, it was all leaked through, um, by, and they by, handled it very badly. And the, the, hack, the handling was basically, a, you know, oh, if you want to get protection, you have to sign this document. But the fine print was that you can only get protection for a year. Mm. And we know that these kind of hackings where people are getting your social security number, they're getting your date of birth, they're getting all that stuff. There's, there's slow burn kind of stuff. You could mm. be affected 10 years from now mm. um, in all kinds of ways, whether you try and get a loan and you can't or something happens. Um and so I think there'll be more of those cases. I'd also like to say with that, you know, there's been some pretty appalling cybersecurity when it comes to Internet of Things. And similarly, I suspect there will be some lawsuits coming there as well because we've, we've had at least um, there was a couple this year, one one notable one, which was a um, a connected sex toy where the um, the company was receiving data from the, from the device while it was being used without um, telling the um, the customers, and people felt very violated by that. So there's going to be, I know with GDPR, uh, yes, yes. I know that there's going to be more kind of push towards having things documented in plain language, uh, shorter, shorter, shorter paragraphs and so on where, where viable, so that consumers are becoming more aware about this stuff. Mm. Um so you know they know what they know what they're in for and they know what they're signing because it's been pretty amply demonstrated that people don't know what what kind of data they're giving away and what kind of privacy and all that stuff. Mm. And actually, an interesting one on GDPR is it's yet to see how much of an effect it's going to have on Europe and Europeans mm. um, in terms of some companies just saying no, it's not worth not worth it to do business with you anymore. Um, oh, interesting. It's interesting because some countries in the European Union and outside of it have already had similar laws in the past. Like That's right. Around data collection and your right to access data and things like that. I'm pretty sure the UK has actually had elements of those laws for quite a while. I remember mm. studying them at university unless I misunderstood um, quite uh, what form they took. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. Um, okay. I think number two for me on a somewhat different bent will be um, – I, I think uh, this was the year 
that Apple really dropped the ball with many things, <laughs> especially in the latter part of the year. Uh, and I don't actually think it's going to get any better. Um, I think uh, I think this will be the year. It's already happened a bit, but I think this will be the year uh, that a lot of people um, move away from uh, Apple as a desktop operating system anyway, which uh, pains me greatly to say because I must admit I'm not massively liking of the competition, but... I don't know, just many whisperings um, just don't seem to be like it's going to be something I'm going to want to use anymore. But to be fair, we've been here before. <laughs> so True. I, I don't know if uh, every year we kind of people say the same thing and nothing really uh, changes that much. So we'll see. But I think um, Apple is going to continue to disappoint in 2018. <laughs> that would be my Aww. second prediction. <laughs> Do you think someone will... Um fill the gap no i i actually think um i think i'm actually gonna i'm gonna respond in a minute because i think this leads into my prediction number three so uh give me your prediction number three kate maybe we'll call it three and quits give me your third one yeah okay uh i'm just thinking of one yeah i mean i think we are going to we've kind of starting to move from um I guess a lot of the, the the use of IoT in collecting data, um, but we're getting a lot smarter with that data now. People are actually, you know, the capabilities to be able to, you know, assess that data, find the outliers and use that to form plans of action, whether it's predictive maintenance, it is actual, you know, forward planning, it's um, growing, growing, you know, knowing how much um, fertilizer to use in, on, a, on a crop, or it's um, you know planning a uh, I don't know <laughs> uh, travel plans for throughout an airport it could be anything really so, but w- what I'm seeing in an IoT is we're moving from I guess pilots to actual projects people that have been working in some of these spaces for a long time at, we're, we're starting to see the real return on investment financially mm. but also in terms of um, creation and one of the the means for that has been AI. So AI will continue to be a big thing. Um, and, you know, it's funny, like, when, when I know um, there was a lot of buzz around AI the first half of the year and then it kind of dropped off. It was almost like we, we kind of we got all excited about it and then we kind of went, well, yeah, we've got it now. Everyone's using it. When, when you know, they're, they're, they're not actually. <laughs> they're not all using it. No, no. Pe- people are wanting to use it. But in terms of capabilities, the capabilities haven't been all there. But I think if I can tie in another prediction to that, I think the thing that will be a persistent pain point in 2018 and beyond is a skill shortage in tech, um, particularly looking at areas like AI, machine learning, of course, um, data science, data analytics, um, some of the IoT areas um, from the OT to the IT sort of crossover, uh, looking at probably some of the cryptocurrency segments as well on the blockchain. There's going to be um, either a lot of people needing to skill up and, you know, this comes into this whole thing that I believe in tech that it's a it's a, um, a sector of lifelong learning rather than just going to university once. Um, mm. Or it's going to be people coming in and, and finding second careers, you know, training mm. for second careers. Okay. Um, I think I will counter one of yours and then one of my own. Uh, I actually will disagree with you slightly on the um, 
skill shortage. Uh, I'm not actually sure if this is a 2018 prediction. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> a bit more further, a couple more sure. years ahead. But I actually think that the um, worth of tech skills will actually start evening out and leveling out a bit um, in the next couple of years. Uh, and there'll be less uh, of a big deal. But that's a more maybe maybe further ahead than 2018. But I think, um, I'm not sure if this is a prediction or a hope. Uh, I think it can be both. Sometimes you can make predictions that you probably aren't, know aren't going to come true. Yeah, of course. Um, and that would be consolidation. Uh, you've already alluded to, and, and so have I, you know, num- numerous things where we've said, uh, something came along and then it sort of, no, everyone stopped talking about it. And then something else came along and people stopped talking about it. And that could just be us because we tend to jump around scenes a bit. So we get a bit of a mixed, uh, broad, uh, viewing of, of, of everything. Um, but I'd like to see, I'd like to see in 2017, I'd like to see developers and business people consolidating things a bit, stop creating, um, duplications of everything, of ideas, of JavaScript frameworks, of blockchain frameworks, and actually starting to collaborate a bit more to build the real change instead of just keep constantly one-upping one each other. I'd really like to see a bit of consolidation and a bit of collaboration, I think, in 2017, 2018. <laughs> um, and I don't necessarily know if it's going to happen, but uh, it would be nice to to see i think um yeah i think i'm always hopeful of that though and i'm always hopeful and it never happens and also sometimes people (laughs) uh, yeah and also sometimes people point out to me that actually duplication and competition is is also good um but i think there's a fine line maybe uh, yeah, where that fine line is i'm not sure but (laughs) so let's move on oh sorry okay and I was just going to say, I like the idea of consolidation. I mean, mm. maybe we can consolidate some of the startups, some of the IT platforms, mm. and maybe some of the conferences. Less yeah. of all of those wouldn't be a bad thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's um, let's just wrap up with uh, more practical. What two thousand and eighteen? Got to get the year right. Holds for us on the most immediate future. Uh, I will be. I don't think you're coming, are you, Kate? At uh, Fostem, back at Fostem in Brussels on the first weekend of February, where I am helping organize the tool docs room for people who want to talk about documentation tooling, a riveting oh, subject. Um, after that, I've got a few other things coming up, but nothing is completely confirmed yet. So that'll, that's the only one that's confirmed right now. Uh, I will hopefully be doing some work for a very major company, but I'm still waiting for the eyes to be um, dotted and the T's to be crossed on that. Uh, working on a few other articles here and there, and I'm hoping to have a bit more time to spend on some of my personal projects. So I think uh, watch this space for New Year's resolutions there. With the podcast, we're going to be making a move back to video in the near future and trying to have a bit more video again. Now we're kind of comfortable in our audio again and got that nailed, I think. And I hope you're enjoying the th- new theme tune <laughs> to, the, to the show. Uh, so expect a bit more polish here and there. We're also going to work more on getting some community forums for you to discuss what we discuss. 
uh, across uh, various platforms too. We're going to get that set up in the new year. And we're hoping to get Kate to do a few more singular interviews because hmm. generally at the moment it's me doing those yeah. and then us doing link shows. And I'd like to get you doing a few more of those. Yeah. Too. I mean, I do a lot of interviews. Yeah, I just don't, you don't record I, them. <laughs> I, I, I record them for um, right transcribing purposes yeah. rather than interview purposes. And um, what about for you, Kate? Anything in yeah. the future you want to mention This year it's um, sort of – it's a – It'll be an interesting year in some ways. I started working with a venture capital company mm. um, late last, late this year, um, doing helping them with some writing work, um, some research, things like that. So I'm hoping that will continue because it's been very enjoyable and very interesting seeing the other side of things. Um, I've also been working with a couple of cryptocurrency companies with some writing work there. Um, as you probably all know, it's not unusual for journalists to work in writing because – we get paid on time <laughs> and we get paid as well. Um, so it's, I'm hoping that we'll both continue. I've also been approached to potentially work on a cryptocurrency publication. Um, I know I've spoken before about the, um, some of the problematic ethics to do with journalism and cryptocurrencies, largely that, um, as writers, we get offered money to write about the companies by the companies <laughs> as opposed to simply, um, you know, writing about them because they're interesting like we do everyone else. Mm. And so we're hoping, a friend and I are hoping to set up a bit of a publication where that kind of thing doesn't happen. Mm. It's unbiased information and it's interesting and we'll be getting some um, some good thought leaders on board as well. So if anyone's listening has a lot to say about cryptocurrencies, um, we would welcome your input. You don't have to be what we an expert. This is new, you know, it is still relatively new currency. But we welcome people that with inquiring minds that like to like to learn more. Okay. And as always, you can find previous episodes and show notes at gregariousmammal.com slash podcast. And you can support the show by rating us in any of your podcatching locations or at gregariousmammal.com slash support. I have been Chris Chinchilla. You can find me at chrischinchilla.com or on Twitter at Chris Chinch. And Kate? I've been Kate Lawrence and you can find me at katelawrence.com. That's Kate with a C, Lawrence with a W. Or on Twitter, Kate underscore Lawrence and with a C and a W in the Lawrence. God, that was a mouthful. <laughs> and thank you for all the you listeners and comments in 2017. And we will see you well, yeah, actually, you, we may see you, or you may see us, uh, in a whopping week <laughs> in 2018. So, uh, Happy Christmas and New Year, everybody. Well, I think we've already passed Christmas. Well, I'm still saying. <laughs> we still have mince pies <laughs> in the cupboard. Happy New Year, and uh, yeah, I hope you have a good and safe New Year's Eve, and we'll talk to you all again soon. Yeah.